Hello, welcome to... Uh, no, it's not Shoot the Piano Player. Wow, you went, went for a good streak without doing that. I know. What's this? No, season is Dark Habits, a of our podcast. Uh, I'm Spencer, and J-Dog is here. Yep. Yeah, so this is uh, the first of at least a couple Audrey Hepburn episodes, because she's my favorite uh, actress. Yeah, well, maybe it's not super horror. Maybe it might be a little higher. But anyway, my favorite, my favorite actress are not like top tier. Like someone I, I love seeing her in movies and we'll get into my opinion of her movies overall, which I don't think is controversial opinion when I say it. But, uh, yeah. So since the season covers classic Hollywood, I figure this is one no one ever talks about. It's the same year as the other one that people talk about. That kind of sucks in my opinion. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, so we have a guest. I first talked to her, uh, recording time one week ago, talking about action movies on Movies from Hell. And, um, she's a smart person, writes books, uh, wrote a book, uh, called Junk Film that just came out recently. Uh, I, yeah, I should, uh, I should look up where you can buy it right now, but I forgot to do that. Anyway, so uh, yeah, uh, Catherine Coliron is joining us for the first time this season. So happy to be here. Oh, happy that you uh, went and uh, jump on a season. So, so where can you get that book? Yeah. Oh, you can get it at Amazon.com. Um, you can also PayPal me seventeen dollars, and I'm happy to send you a signed copy with some stickers. Um, you can't necessarily get it in bookstores, but you can also get it at barnesandnoble.com if you have a moral objection to Amazon, which I fully understand. But, uh, so, Catherine, when I sent you the list of m- movies, why did you pick, you picked five things, we're gonna probably cover all, all five of them, um, why did you want, why did you pick this one movie sp- uh, specifically? Um, because I think it's an interesting film with regard to queer cinema history. And because my first book was an experimental novella that was set at a girl's boarding school. So I'm always interested in girls boarding school narratives. Um, and this is part of that. I also didn't quite know what to make of this movie the first time I saw it, and um, I'm interested in it, so I wanted to take the opportunity to talk about it with some other people. Okay. I had a similar, like, I first saw this maybe seven, six, six or seven years ago, and my gut reaction was like, I don't know if I like it per se, but I kind of appreciate what it was going for. Okay. Given the time. Hollywood, uh, given Hollywood at this point in time. And what about now? I like it a little bit more. I read uh, a piece on uh, talking about it that came out uh, a year or two ago that kind of re- that recontextualized certain stuff in oh. it. Let me go like, okay, it's, it's more interesting than I have given it credit. I, I'm still not crazy about it, but I, I do find it just, uh, like, an openly queer Hollywood movie of this point, in its point in time, in early 60s, 
is to me like i'm not a classic hollywood like scholar but it seems to me like there there weren't that many that were like this openly uh discussing it or bringing it up i'm so glad to hear you guys aren't over the moon about the movie because i was really afraid (laughs) you know my thing about what's that what did you think of it i i i thought the performances were all like spot on um everyone was bringing it out if anything um I feel like Audrey Hepburn didn't really get to do what she was capable of doing. She, she got to do some of that stuff, but like Shirley MacLaine oversh- kind of <laughs> overshadows her. And um, I don't like children. So you have to factor that in. And there's a lot of children in this movie. <laughs> no, that's, that's not true. Well, that's um, this movie like got me. It got my goat, if you want to say, uh-huh. because I was like irritated. <laughs> so I felt that way too. The first time I saw it, it, it bothered me in a way that I couldn't quite put my finger on. And I, over time, I realized that the main thing that bothered me was the incapacity to see queerness as anything other than an aberration. And I also thought that it was very stilted and play-like. Uh, and I, I think that oh, yeah. some of that is because I knew that it was a play beforehand, but also I think the movie is steeped in it. And based on the research that I did, um, they could have done better at that. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if those are the reasons that it got your goat, but it was for me. Yeah, it's, And I put put this on the list uh, specifically because it's a Audrey Hepburn that no one really talks about. And in the past, uh, I've put in like uh, movies of people who, like like the uh, Pam Grier episode on one of her lesser known movies, and then after watching the movie you picked, I was like, oh yeah, there's a reason no one talks about this one. There's it's kind of kind of dull, and so I, I kind of had that had that reaction a little bit with the Children's Hour because like there there are things to get into, but overall, uh, that's just me. Hmm. I was glad to get a second chance to watch it. Uh, the first time I saw it, I did think that, um, I mean, the early 60s in, in Hollywood were not the greatest time, but also this movie is a little bit flat compared to some of the other stuff that had come out in the late 50s. On the other hand, when I saw it the second time, which was just a couple of days ago, I was just coming off of watching the first version of this uh, play brought to cinema which is called these three and it was made mm-hmm. in 1936 yes, and um, with one of the same cast members in the in this version yes uh by the same director william wyler directed both versions and i actually liked these three better even though the code meant that there was sort of no mention of lesbianism at all they they reset the plot to make it a love triangle between the doctor and um Martha and uh, Karen. So the, the, the secret that the children pretend exists is that uh, the doctor cheats on Karen with Martha instead of that Martha and Karen are lovers. And 
it's interesting because I thought that that would make the movie very closed and censored and repressed. But Lillian Hellman said something about how the story, the heart of the story is actually about the lie and the consequences of the lie rather than about the lesbianism. And she's right. The first version of the movie, even though it's, you know, deliberately been uh, censored, it's still dramatic and interesting and almost all of the dialogue is exactly the same and the performances are phenomenal. So I, I mean, it was a lot less stiff than the 1961 version. So I liked it a lot better. Hmm. Yes. Uh, well, first off, before I get into it, um, uh, J dog, uh, mm. can you remember the first time you heard of Audrey Hepburn? Slash, have me have do you like her as an actress slash movie star, what and whatnot. The first time I heard about Aubrey, uh, I keep saying Aubrey, but like I don't know anyone named Aubrey. Why don't we do this, Audrey Hepburn? <clears throat> well, it's probably the poster, Breakfast at Tiffany's poster, very famous. But even then, I probably didn't know her name, and I'm a I'm a goddamn '90s kid. So unfortunately, I think my first real introduction to her was a song in which some people watched Breakfast at Tiffany's, um, and they were breaking up. So I heard more about who that person was and such. And I do think that she, I mean. I can't say that I've seen a huge variety of her movies, mostly the the more famous things. I personally really don't like Breakfast at Tiffany's at all. Um, That's a terrible movie. There's a reason mm-hmm. not like it. Um, where's the, what's the one where she's like royalty or, or something like that? And Roman Holiday. Roman Holiday. I, I That one I like a lot. Uh as far as I can see, she's a just fine actress. Like, I, I've never been like, that was an amazing performance. And I don't think, I'm not trying to diss her or anything like that. Like, I look forward to seeing her in movies when she's in them. So, that's that's where I am. I, I, I was never like, a, I need to see all Audrey Hepburn's movies mm. kind of person. But I know yeah. you fell in love, so. Yes. For me, this is like... Audrey Hepburn was one of the first, like, classic Hollywood people where it's like, oh, wait, these movies aren't just old and boring. These can be, like, have good performances and whatnot. And so, like, for me, it's kind of like a gateway. And, uh, like, I, I don't think she's as good actress as, like, some of her contemporaries. But, uh, I just, she has, just has a movie star quality to her, which is like, I just like seeing her in movies. And, and, yeah. like, and that's it. And the thing with her movies in general is, I think overall her movies are okay to good. There's maybe two great, um, maybe three great ones, in mm. my opinion. But overall, it's a lot of like, yeah, it, it's a it's a good movie, but you know, it's not great. And like usually, she's the she's the best part of the movie. Usually, not 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 in every case. Okay, we have to come back to your your favorites. I know you passed them by on purpose, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Catherine, what's your opinion? Um, I think she is 
one of the great movie stars, but I find her totally impenetrable. So I don't love her. Um, I like someone with more vulnerability, like, a um, like a Natalie Wood or someone with more spit and guts huh. like Betty Davis. Um, so she's, I think she's so elegant that she kind of makes me angry and makes me feel deeply unfeminine when I watch her. So it's kind of difficult um, for me to judge her. I think she's a tremendous actress and I think she's a great movie star, but I am personally not crazy about her just because of how uh, untouchable she is. Yeah. That's kind of a, kind of a thing that somebody would get into a fight about. Yeah. How do you mean? Well, like if you did tell somebody was a diehard that, you know, like, I just think she's okay. I don't think she's okay. I think she's tremendous, but she's not for me. The same way that, you know, I much prefer Naomi Watts to Nicole Kidman because I think Watts is a little more willing to fucking relax. Um, And but they both have that kind of ice queen thing going on. And that's kind of how I feel about Hepburn. I get what you mean. Uh, Well, uh, before we get any further, Catherine, what's your opinion of Breakfast at Tiffany's? Um, I think it's fine, and it's much more visually iconic than it is cinematically worthy. Just like for me, the the the, the Asian stereotyping in that one just like for me really bogs it down. On top of George Papard, in my opinion, yes, it kind of sucks the life out of that movie. <laughs> I mean, they, they changed that story in his character is a gay man, I believe, in the book, right? And I think they kind of cast for that, too. And I'm not saying anything about femininity or anything like that. Like, I don't know. It, the whole story comes out gentle in a way that that just is not interesting at all to me. Yeah, it's just like, it's, just, it's, a, it's, it's flat and boring. Like, to me, it's like flat and boring. And it like it's it's iconic. Like I've seen the images of it my entire life. It took a long time. Like before, before like after I watched it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, enough about that. That trash. Um, okay. So J Dog, what is the Children's Hour about? It's about the nastiest little girl that ever lived. Like uh, if I was around when. This, if this girl really existed and I was around, that might be the first child I ever punched in the face. I feel, you know, makes me feel guilty. Why is that little girl making me feel guilty? It's not fair. Okay, no, sorry. Um, so there are two women that run a school for girls, and it is the kind of school where you drop your kid off and you may or may not pick them up for a couple of months. I don't know, like a charter school, is that what that would Boarder, be? Boarding school. Boarding school. Thank you very much. See, you you do write books, I can tell. Let's not. <laughs> so Karen and Martha run the school, and um, Karen is engaged to Joe, Doctor Joe. Is that right? Jim Rockford. Yeah, Jim Rockford, that old guy from the Notebook. His name is James Garner. Oh, Jesus! He had so- a very he had a long career. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyways, James Garner <laughs> should have started off a nobody named James and Garner. Actually, at the time, he had been gray listed because he 
got into some salary dispute with Warner Brothers, and so oh. Jack Warner painted him ugly. And so uh, William Wyler basically got him off of that list by hiring him for this movie. And, you know, uh, I get, Robert Redford wasn't around yet, so we got James Garner. <laughs> <laughs> I like James Garner's uh, in this movie. Like I said, I like all the acting in this movie. So there is one naughty little girl that seems to just constantly be getting into trouble and trying to be her, do her own way. She's stubborn. And when she gets mad enough, she decides, oh, well, the, see, I'm getting too caught up in the details here. Why am I doing this? Somebody do it much shorter. I'm just going to read what it says on the letterbox. Okay, fine. Private school for young girls is scandalized when one spiteful student, Mary Tilford, remember that name, accuses the two young women who run the school of having a lesbian relationship. Watching those those kids, like the way she learns about what that is and has enough details to freak her grandmother out is kind of the way I learned a lot of stuff. Just like reading books that were too old for me and that I might get in trouble if I get caught. But I never lied and ruined people's lives before, as far as I know. Yeah. Uh, well, there's one cast member I want to bring up before we get to in the weeds. Uh, Veronica Cartwright from Alien and X-Files oh, yeah. is the little girl with freckles that is blackmailed. Mm-hmm. And she's still going. Love yeah. Veronica Cartwright. And Miriam Hopkins was the one you were mentioning was in the uh, original movie. Yeah, yes. she had she had the Martha part in '36, and then now she's Aunt Lily. Um, that is so cool. It is, and I'm. I mean, I I have a lot of opinions about the different casts of these uh-huh. two movies, but I don't know if we even want to get into that. So oh, we can absolutely. I'm excited. <laughs> Do we want to spoil it? Because the uh, the way the plot unfolds at the end is part of the point of its. You know weird place in queer film history um yeah uh we're a pro spoiler show yeah uh mostly assume that you're gonna watch the movie before you listen but well so the um mary accuses them of having this lesbian relationship and it's based on a true story from the 1880s i believe and um i I found 18 1810s okay 1810s my mistake and um, in real life, they uh, the two women sued for slander, and they won, but it didn't make any difference because their reputations were ruined. In the movie, and it's all elided, there's no, like, you know, courtroom scene or anything in the movie, but they do the same thing. They sue for slander, but they lose. And uh, so they just are left with nothing. And at that point, Martha examines her own feelings and realizes she may in fact have lesbian feelings for Karen. And she does, she has this confession scene that's just glorious in terms of Shirley MacLaine's performance. And then she hangs herself because she's so confused about all this. And um, Karen goes to her funeral and then that's the end of the movie. (laughs) Very, very, you know, summer romp. For the whole family. Oh yeah. yeah, it's it's just the the stereotype thing that is luckily is going away. It's still I'm, I'm pretty, 
I don't watch the too many modern things, but I'm sure it's still there. But like the queer character who has to die by suicide at the end of the story or, or dies or gets murdered or whatever. So that's like it's a stereotype also, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's a stereotype character trope thing. And I, I forgot what the, there's a term, there's a word for his term. I can't remember what it is, but it's like when, when a group of people start getting, uh, maybe it's not a term for this, but whenever like a group of people who are not represented start getting represented in something, it's usually through like stereotypical ways. And so like, you know, for, uh, for black characters for a long time, it was like servant, slave, uh, uh, porter, stuff like that. And then eventually after a couple of decades, they, they can actually become people in mainstream, uh, entertainment. Where like for queer characters, it seemed to be, uh, they're sad and they kill themselves. And now we're at the point where it's like, oh, they can be actual characters who survive by the end. You, you know what I was thinking? Um, it, within the time period that this was made, if this movie was still trying to fit within like the type, you know, any type parameters. Uh, one of the old rules was that if a bad guy, if there's a bad guy in the movie, they have to get, they have to be punished by punished. the end of the movie. Yeah. And in some sick way, I can see audiences and of course, certainly the characters in the movie seeing oh, Martha. Martha, Martha, yes, as the bad guy and her ending her life. And, and it, it just like that, is so upsetting to me, but I can't not believe it, it occurred to people. That's such an interesting point and idea. The code was specific about um, characters who commit moral, not mortal, but moral sins have to be punished. And by 1961, this was relaxing a good deal. And I think that this is the play, the way that it was written by Lillian Hellman in the 30s. So I think Hellman was a powerful enough figure that she would have had the latitude to change that if she wanted to. I don't know that the code made Martha kill herself, um, specifically in the way that every gangster has to die. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that that was the choice that was made instead of her figuring out some way to live with this. That is true. Well, you just put a hole into the thing I was thinking. How dare you? Sorry, but I mean, you could be right. It, it could be that Hellman, you know, stuck with this because she knew that it would never get past um, the board. But I, I don't think so, but it's possible. Yeah. Maybe just the idea of like convincing somebody like they don't want this movie to be on there because it refers to a lesbian and one of the characters turns out to be a lesbian and be like, yeah, but uh, morally, she gets judged at the end. Yeah. Or something. See, some ter people are terrible, is what it comes down to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like, uh, part uh I watched this this time, it, it made me think of drawing guitar a little bit in terms of how a community reacts to, uh, to like two rumors being spread about someone. Uh, and like, oh yes, yes, okay, yes, and like, uh, and, and, and and you know, and one of my notes was uh, "Evil dies tonight" because because uh, yeah. that stupid ass movie. It's like every time you see some movie about like an uh, angry mob or like 
or society turning at someone's like, oh, it's just it's Halloween kills, <laughs> evil dies yep. tonight. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, one thing I found is that uh, Hel- um, Hellman directed the re- first revival in the fifties that ran for I didn't what are the dates December fifty two and- until May fifty three, and um, it's been revived a few times. The most recent one. That I found was 2011 with Kira Knightley and Elizabeth Moss. Oh, that sounds wonderful. But I would think Elizabeth Moss, Elizabeth, why can I talk? Elizabeth Moss would probably be Martha. I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean that that fits in terms of the because um, like the the more beautiful and the one with the higher cheekbones is um, going to be Karen. They did this really interesting thing with a uh, Danny Boyle that was with the Frankenstein film he made with Johnny Lee Miller and um, Benedict Cumberbatch, where the two would swap roles. One would be the doctor, one would be the monster, and uh, they they released those on film. The, the only way you can see them is during one of those uh, National Theater Live productions, but they do bring them out pretty often for Halloween, and I recommend both of them. Um, I always wondered why people didn't pick up on that. Like, it felt original to me. I'm sure it happened many times in many plays, but, like, you talking about Keira Knightley and Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Moss being, or, yeah, in these roles, like, swapping parts every every week or something like that would be so awesome. Well, but then you have to learn the entire play. Like you have to learn two parts <laughs> instead of one. That is very true, but uh, they are professional actors and I believe in them. True. Well, uh, Catherine, I want your, your opinion of this. Does this count as an evil kid movie? Uh, <laughs> I, I think so. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, the bad seed is much more obvious <laughs> Mm-hmm. But and and there's just so much going on in this movie compared to something like The Bad Seed, which is just sort of a one note focused on this one thing. Um, I think it does. I will say that the the girl in the 36 version mm-hmm. is w- way better. She's like the performance is better. It's sharper. It's, you know, she seems less bratty and more like a little fully formed sociopath. um and like it's it's amazing so yes i think it does count as as a bad kid movie Mm. okay at least the 30s version for sure (laughs) yeah like so uh uh, we'll we'll draw like what what in what for you in this movie did not work because you seem i feel like you seem the most mixed of of all of us it's like what for you like this doesn't really work overall okay my my rating my feeling about it is purely based on my reaction and not on the quality of the movie like i the reason i'm glad to hear you two both for that is because i was so i was not just worried that you would think it was perfect i would think that uh i would have to explain my way out of how i felt uh, which i'm going to do anyway so i guess that doesn't matter I would feel bad is what it was. And instead we're here. So I've just been having rough days with family stuff and, and 
work stuff and other such stuff. Polu stuff, my beautiful gray cat. She's got stuff. Uh-huh. And so, you know, when I started watching the movie, I was like, it's really getting. That's why I meant what I meant by it got my goat. Like, it was like upsetting me <laughs> what was going on. And at a certain, at the point where um, the confrontation happens between Grandma, Joe, Martha, other person's name, I can't remember all of a sudden. And the, yeah, that that scene is like it's very long, but it's like the heart of the whole thing. It is, yeah. I paused the movie because I had to find out how it ended before we got there. I couldn't. I just had knew that if I wasn't prepared, it was just going to bum me out even more bummed out than I was. So, <laughs> um, what I have to say didn't work for me was. Well, the play aspects of it, the the stuff that feels like kind of a weird filler because you can't just have the characters appear like on a play set. They have to appear to have lives that outside the houses and things like that. Like Joe does his double donut thing, everything. Oh, what a quirk. What a quirk. Um, that, that bothered me the most out of that because... I don't know, it, it, like, if, if the like, dialogue was almost literally from the play, I think somebody should have thought about making more of it seem in the kind of flow that movies usually go in. Yeah. It also sometimes just felt weirdly rehearsed. Like, I, I'd have to say that the evil little girl actually, to me, gives it like a, a TV performance or something like that. One of, one of those, uh, I don't know, some black and white TV show from back in the day. Huh. But um, the performance that Audrey Hepburn and Shirley MacLaine and James Garner, when he's, <laughs> when he's trying desperately to keep up, um, <laughs> he, they're reading lines and they're acting and they're doing huh. great. But it's not a stage. Also, yeah. Oh, the little girl doesn't die at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, in the original, uh, the the maid um, in the in Grandma's house is she has a bigger part, and she ends up slapping the girl. And apparently, audiences just like erupted in applause and cheering when that happened. <laughs> Like, and she gives her, like, she hauls off, gives her a real good slap. And the actress who plays the maid is actually Margaret Hamilton, who played the Wicked Witch of the West. So it's oh. like, you can't, you can't ignore her as, as you can the maid in the, in the new, newer version. So yeah. Great yeah. Whap is wonderful. Very satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. Like going off like the, the, the play aspects, I find it. Finds the movie a strange mix of it's visually dynamic and knows, like William Wyler was a professional. He knew how to make a movie look good and look dynamic, but it's about times it it, it fluctuates between, it jumps between being like this visually dynamic, interesting movie playing with like, uh, like move like cinematic uh techniques, and then at times it just kind of goes on for a while and it just feels like. It just feels like I'm watching 
a, 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 a film play. And, and I can't really explain, like, beyond that, but, like, it just feels... It's it just, like, it can it never meshed together uh, cohesively enough for me. Oh, that time jump felt kind of weird. Yeah. Like, I, I read that it was supposed to be like seven months. But yeah, the time... I had to rewind it, because, like, I don't remember a court case was happening, because I don't think there was a big time jump in any other place in the movie. Hmm. And there wasn't much that seemed to indicate besides the line of dialogue. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. Why Why is that other girl still at Grandma's house? Did they just uh, not have another school anywhere? Maybe Grandma uh, hired a private tutor. Yeah, I guess. But uh, And James Garner, he's... I, he's not on. He's not on Shirley or Aubrey's. You got me saying that Audrey's level. Eh. He, he's he's really good, but at the same time, it's like he, he's too like goofy every every man for me mm. to believe him as a doctor. Yeah, I think so he plays it, a cool person pretty good. Yeah, but like I I love Rockford Files and right and like I've seen him in other stuff. Like he's always like kind of these like the. Just like it's a great everyman, like this, you know, it's a great everyman, like kind of goofball type of guy. And seeing him in this like serious drama for me is like he he he's good in it. I'm not saying he's bad. It's just it, this is not like what this. I don't think this was a good fit for him. You think it was a goofy, funny man? Yes. What what about the Notebook? What about? <laughs> The notebook. I've never, I've never seen a notebook. I've only oh, seen like God, you're so stuff. lucky. Like Maverick, you know, he he's kind of like a, a goofy, lean man type, and he's yeah, I like, like, I like Maverick. He can't be. No, he's <laughs> he's very he's very Ryan Reynolds, and to put him in a in a movie like this, especially with two women who are, you're right, he's very outclassed by these two actresses, and um, both of them would be better in other movies, but nevertheless, like their craft is just far superior the thing that interests me actually about the performances is how mclean is actually not great for most of the movie and the scene the confession scene is the searing astonishing performance and the fact that she's kind of just okay and and she does feel like she's reading lines for a lot of her performance Mm -hmm. but that that one scene comes from the heart and that makes it so it's so off kilter compared to um, I mean, and Audrey Hepburn's performance is good throughout because she's a professional. Um, and like her face is, I think the, the, where her performance is extraordinary. Like when she looks up at her friend having hanged herself, the, the way that her face changes is yeah. like all by itself, a beautiful award-winning performance, but they don't feel like they're connecting to the material for the majority of the movie. And that makes the movie feel very sterile. I think uh, William Wyler is a pro and he's kind of, as I was thinking about how to characterize him, I looked at his career and I thought, okay, so he's kind of like the Steven Spielberg of the classical period of Hollywood. Um, He didn't necessarily always choose as exciting and forward thinking material as Spielberg does, but he always does a really, really good job. And you know, you're always going to go and have a good time at the movies if you go to one of his movies. But this one, again, I feel like, 
I feel like none of the people who were involved in this movie had any personal connection to anything that happened in it. It didn't feel like any, you know, if, if, um, Curtis Harrington had directed this, Uh I mean, he never would have, but if he had, that would have been an interesting fusion of directorial attitude and material. But this is just like, you know, it's a Lillian Hellman play end of story instead of making something interesting out of it emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Joel, I want to bring something up. We've, we've already covered a, uh, a William Wyler movie this season. This season. I haven't uploaded it yet. It's a movie that, um, the guests loved and we were very me. We were very meh on it. The, the Betty the Davis, future. the Betty Davis movie, the letter. The, the 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 Betty the Davis letter. movie we covered. Hold on. Oh, it's the movie where okay. she shoots the guy from the porch steps. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. The movie that Jake was like, I love this movie so much, and we we're like, it's okay, I guess. Yeah. I, I yeah. feel I kind of feel bad about that one a little bit, but I think we made it up when we did the other one, with Jake. Everyone has yeah. much more interesting cinematography than the children's hour. Like it's got a lot more noir shadows and light. And it's, you know, it's got that, this is, this does not take place in America exoticism to it. So yeah. it's a little more visually interesting. And I want to clarify, I don't think the children's hour is like the whole time, super dynamic, interesting, but like there are certain moments where it's like, Oh, it's, it's a movie now. And there are other parts where it's like, oh, I'm just watching a stage play. A shocking amount of yellow face. <laughs> I think. Well, was there yellow face in the letter, or was it just the Asian people never got to talk? No, it wasn't the the woman that, like... I think, yes, I think there was one yellow face character. Yes. But uh, besides... Movie, I really have to look this movie up, because I'm still not sure... I'm remembering Wait. it right. Who stars Wait. in it? <laughs> Betty Davis stars. Okay, so it is the movie I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. We yeah, ended up talking about Tommy Boy again in that one because we didn't have much to say. <laughs> it's always a good time to talk about Tommy Boy. I know. We, we, no, we we cut cut this conf- cut that conversation short now. Back, okay, back to the children's hour. Uh, all right. So, well, Catherine, you know classic Hollywood better than uh, I do, and presumably uh, J Dog. Definitely. Uh, are there are there other movies like along this line that are pretty open about talking about like homosexuality and queer characters, or is it, or is this uh, like kind of an outlier for being so open about it? I want to refer you to my friend Kyle Turner's book, The Queer mm-hmm. Film Guide. Um, he wrote a whole, it's like a hundred movies in chronological order about that, um, that kind of trace the history of queer cinema in America. Um, and I'm trying to think of what movies around this moment are in that book because my immediate answer is no. Um, but I'm, I must be wrong. (laughs) Um, I feel like there's at least a couple. And um, so if you give me a minute, I will look it up. I'm pretty sure the answer is not really, but okay. uh, talk amongst yourselves for a sec. All right. I saw a movie one time. Oh, I was going to say um, two of the 
I think, great Audrey Hepburn movies are all directed by William Wyler. All right, let me guess. Oh, yeah, he really loved working with her. Yes, uh, one is the super famous one, Roman Holiday. Okay. The other one is one that uh, no one really talks about, but How to Steal a Million. Oh, yeah. I have seen the cover of that movie many times, and I have still not, I don't know, for some reason. I think it's her most fun movie. Because in general, I don't, I don't think she really. I, th- I think of her movies. I don't really think of them as being fun, like except for Roman Holiday. Yeah, like Roman Holiday and uh, How Steal, How to Steal a Million would be like the fun ones. And besides those two, it's like kind of like. Uh, um, I'm trying to think what, what the movie with. Hold on, Charade. Have you seen that Charade? one? Charade. Yes. Yeah, I mean they're cracking jokes. It is. It is kind of a. It's a James uh, Bond sort yeah. of movie. Well, yeah. Charade is a is an interesting example because it's um, the way that movie was written. Um, Cary Grant was uncomfortable with chasing after a woman who was literally half his age, so they reversed the dialogue, and um, in the love scenes, all of the aggressive dialogue is given to the to Hepburn. I should rewatch it because I, I never even made a connect. Like if thought of it, thought of it in that way. But uh, I mean, so I, I have an answer for you. Um, uh-huh. Aside from Glenn or Glenda, which is not not really <laughs> of the same <laughs> caliber, uh, <laughs> there aren't any American movies around this time that explicitly address queerness. Uh, there is one from the UK in the same year um, called Victim that uh-huh. is about black male and uh, gayness. And then, of course, there's Kenneth Anger, who was starting to work around this time. Excuse me. Well, but uh, in, in classical Hollywood, the only uh-huh. other movie that is in Kyle's book is Tea and Sympathy from 1956, which is really not... It's not about gayness. It's like... It's very coded and buried. Hmm. Yeah, like, like you mentioned earlier, like this movie, the Turn Out is not really a. It's not about like the homosexual uh, themes and I, I, stuff. It's more about the lie, and like, and and when you said that, they kind of made us reconsider like the intent of it. It feels uh, uh, it's being used a little just more. We were talking about uh, other queer movies from oh, this time. Okay, I, I remember now. And like, there's not not much. Yeah, not much. And this movie, like the way it's used, it, it just feels like it's a shocking, thrilling. Like a, it's not thrilling, but it's, it's a shocking reveal to throw in there, or like shocking thing to talk about. More so than being, I guess, like sympathetic and humanizing. But maybe that's a very reactionary way to look at it. I mean, I think the the point of it is that it ruins their reputations, and mm-hmm. that's that could happen one of any number of ways. At the time, they could have accused them of being communists too, and yeah. the fact that McLean focuses, or that actually, it's not just her; it's everybody in the movie focuses on this word "unnatural," is illustrative of how we looked at queerness in the 1960s, which is unfortunate and shitty, uh, but. 
the like the nut of the plot is lies, reputations, human interaction, how can you ever really know the truth, etc. And the queer part of it is actually malleable. I was thinking about mm -hmm. how you could make this now and the way you could do it is if you set it in a conservative Christian community because hmm. in other parts of the country obviously this wouldn't ruin your reputation at all it would just be oh okay but in Utah <laughs> if you had <laughs> a situation like this then it would like it would it would fuck up your life forever and that's I mean that's interesting to me yeah and uh, uh, the piece I found was on Collider which usually I found some stuff on there for some recent episodes that were I, uh, written in a way I, I don't like but this was this was a thing this was on children's hour that uh, they published last year where they brought up the the the, the pushback to lgbtq uh plus rights going on right now and and talk about how that how this is how this movie is becoming relevant again like it's not as far-fetched as um Reading that piece made me realize, like thinking about what's going on right now, this made me think like, okay, no, maybe it's it actually something kind of more relevant. Just like you kind of change some stuff around, but like it's it still feels uh, like it, like it could be. Uh, uh, I lost my train of thought there. It depends on the context. I mean, this, yeah. I don't think that this movie would fly in, you know, rural New England the way that it do, it did in 61. But I do think that it would, if you set it in um, the Bible Belt somewhere, I mean, you'd have to be pretty specific about it, but I, I think you could, you, and you, I think you should probably rewrite McLean's monologue at the end because the way that the sort of self-hatred that she expresses is not okay. And it's not a good way to move forward in queerness, but it is beautifully performed. And the feeling of I've never thought of this and now I'm completely confused is, you know, like that's the scene of the movie and everything. And it's a spill up to that one moment and like nothing kind of stands up to that, to that, or at least for me. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, that scene isn't even in the first movie, uh, which I think is part of why the first movie is a little more sort of solid and consistent. Uh, the rest of it is, you know, <laughs> it doesn't have a big scene to stand up to. So the rest of it's just good. <laughs> I, I do appreciate it a little bit more, but still is kind of like, I don't know, like for, for, Audrey's, for, for Audrey's movies, for me, it's just kind of like, it's probably on the lower end, which is not to say it's bad. It's just like, and she has to play a, the straight man. And be desirable to everybody. And that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's important. That's an important part. Like, it wouldn't work if she wasn't as beautiful as she is. But Yeah, uh, J-Dog, you got... Uh, well, you talked about what you didn't like, but what, what did you like about this movie? If there was anything. Uh, I just enjoyed... I, I did enjoy the performances um, in the as a play sort of thing. And even Mr. Uh, what'd you say he was? Jim Rockford? Jim Rockford, yes. There we go. The actor known as Jim Rockford, wait. James Garner. Uh, as he liked to be called. Yeah. Uh, 
like we were saying, he doesn't keep up with the other two, but I do think um, he has uh, he has presence, in my opinion, and that makes up for a little bit of that acting part that was missing. I'm sorry. Did I mention that the little girl doesn't die? That's that's a negative. Just want to bring it up again. Yeah, it. Yeah, she she definitely to me reeked of um, uh, Billy Mooby in a Twilight Zone as the little mm-hmm. kid. Uh, I forgot to tell the the episode where he sends people to a cornfield. It definitely had that vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a better actor than Billy Mooby, in in my opinion. I think his name is Billy Watch Mo- your mouth. Billy Moomy is a national treasure. <laughs> okay. And I only say that because he might... Well, as a child. Maybe he got fatter as an adult. <laughs> uh, actually, I think he was on the reboot from the 2000s. Or his daughter was? There's some connection. They did like a sequel episode. If you guys remember that weird reboot from the 2000s. A sequel episode to the cornfield? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. I believe it's yeah. called It's a Good Life. Yeah, possibly. It is a good life, Bobby. Yeah, it's the episode with Cloris Leachman in it. I think she is the mom, if I remember she correctly. Is the mom. <clears throat> yeah. You're okay, talking so. to the right person if you want to talk about the Twilight Zone, so uh and also I just love Cloris Leachman in general. The last picture show? That's one of those, it's been on my list for a long time, but it's, it's one of those, like, I'll get to it, but my thing with that movie was, when I read the book Raging Bulls, Easy, Easy Riders Raging Bulls, which I, I now know is kind of a bunch of horseshit, probably, it just made, um, who's that guy with the long-ass name? Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. It just made his movies... At the, when I was 19, reading about him, reading about reading that book, I was like, those movies sound like the most boring thing in the world. So, like, it just left a bad taste in my mouth, reading about mm. those movies in that book. Which is Cloris, prob- Leachman is... Cloris Leachman is devastating in The Last Picture Show, but... And she's also in Kiss Me Deadly, which is one of the weirdest noirs from the 50s. Mm. Um, but, I, yeah, you, don't get me started on Peter Bogdanovich, please. Okay. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I have no opinion besides when I was 19, his movies sounded extremely boring, so I've never actually seen any of them. Yeah. I'm sure I might, I might like them now. Well, I can tell you a bunch more about the original version. Um, Hellman was more involved in the writing of the screenplay for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, like I said, instead of feeling censored, it feels like it's mm-hmm. a riff on the situation from the actual play of the Children's Hour. Uh, the the uh, Mary Tilford is played by Benita Granville, who had a mm-hmm. career as an adult as well. And she's absolutely amazing. The little girl who plays Veronica Cartwright's part mm-hmm. is a different vibe. Like, instead of being freckled and skinny, she's more, like, plump. And, like, it seems more likely that she's picked on than than Veronica Cartwright. Um, and she's very good too. She just, she folds like a cheap accordion. So it's great. Um, Miriam Hopkins, I'm on kind of a Miriam Hopkins kick right now. And Mm -hmm. she is totally splendid as Martha. She's like, 
kind of a little bit close to Betty Davis, a little bit, not really, almost. Um, she's like got this fire to her and, and a lot of depth. And Merle Oberon plays the Hepburn part. And she too, mm-hmm. like Hepburn, is this very like ethereal, on another planet kind of presence of beauty and, and stuff. But she cannot hide her British accent for to save her life. So that's part of a problem. Um, and the male part is Joel McRae, who is wonderful and far more comfortable on screen than James Garner ever was. So his presence is totally different and much better in my view. Uh, the only real problem with it is that the music is incredibly overbearing. It's like just, there's just music in every scene and it's just sawing away at these ridiculous violins and it's super Mm. frustrating. Also in the end, what happens is the doctor leaves and he decides to make a new life in Vienna in 1936. Ooh. Hmm. Oops. So it's set in modern times. No, it's set in 1936. Oh, uh, that's a weird. That's a choice. <laughs> I mean, they didn't know what was going to happen, yeah. but it's still really unfortunate. Uh, so yeah, it's I, I really recommend it. It was as in a sort of you know, cinema was kind of getting its stuff together by 1936. So um, in this early code, squeaky clean kind of way, it's it's a treat. Is it easily available, or you, or you got to go through illegal means? Yeah, no, I, I, it was on Prime. Oh, okay, perfect. But it's called These yeah. Three, which is a super dumb name, but that's what it's called. Yeah, I came across that in the research, and I was like, that can't be that can't be this movie. But, uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, okay, uh, there, like, uh, there are some, like, uh, I found a Children Hour to be funnier in parts. It's very sporadic, but those things like the fake heart attack that um, the, the little girl does is very much like Sanford's son. And it's like it, like that was genuinely funny. I don't know if it was supposed to be funny, but I found it funny. Um, and just uh, Aunt Lily when she's leaving, and she has like her headshot and, and, and like in her in her arms with like, and she's just like this overly dramatic. Uh, uh, per, like persona that like I, I find her funny but besides that like it is this very a uh, j-dog final thought what i one more thing though i, I do want to say the the woman who plays aunt lily in um the original <sighs> plays her bigger and louder and much more hysterical and i think that's better like i, I don't have any quarrel with miriam hopkins she's mm-hmm. a legend but like the the way that Aunt Lily is just totally over the top in the first one is is better. Okay, yeah, I definitely want to see the the, the old one now. Um, J Dog, yeah, final thoughts. Are you ever going to watch this again? Yeah. Somebody uh, wants to watch it, I guess. <laughs> oh, well, Catherine, are you ever going to watch this again? Uh, sure, it's an oddity. I like it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, I hinted earlier about like why I think the great Audrey Hepburn movies are. Uh, besides Roman Holiday, um, House is House Steel a Million and Wait Until Dark, I think are the great ones. And Wait Until Dark is the horror movie she did uh, with a young Alan Arkin as the villain. Mm-hmm. 
And have you seen that one, Joel? I don't know if you have or not. No, I have no. Oh, it's great. Uh, Catherine, have you seen Wait Until Dark? Long ago. I don't remember anything <clears throat> about it. Oh, all right. And I also I get it mixed oh. up with Don't Look Now, which is, you know, I know that they're really nothing alike, but their names are. So. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Uh, and uh, I, a nun story is definitely bordering on great, but I had, it, it does like the old Hollywood, like, foreign place stuff and she's a nun in africa and some africa stuff is for the time pretty progressive but it's also like old hollywood doing africa and foreign land stuff so it it still comes off as yeah i i know i know what to expect it but it's this thing like yeah yeah i'm tired of seeing this i've seen i've seen this enough but it's definitely better than what you what you would expect it to be Okay, is uh is streaming and it's on Tubi right now if you want to watch it for free. Uh the old one is streaming called These Three. I'm sure somewhere they're putting on the play. Oh oh yeah, before we get to this part, I forgot to say it's in the beginning. Uh trans rights are human rights. Uh get involved. Uh, educate yourself on what's going on in in this country, uh locally. That's important. And, uh, Catherine, before we get to the final section, I'm pulling up the email now. Uh, what do you want to talk about next? I mean, I feel like if we're gonna, we could go to whatever happened to Baby Jane and Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte because that's the (laughs) same ish time period. Um, and it's, you know, not a similar. Uh, more similar to the Children's Hour than any of the other ones are similar to the Children's Hour. Okay. Uh, I'm down for that. I've never seen those movies. That's Oh my par- goodness. <laughs> part of, a big part of the season is like, I've heard of that. I guess this is my chance to finally sit, force myself to watch it. And that's one of those, like, I love uh, Joan Crawford. And this, that's like one of the that's like the, that and um, the 45 uh one for French four five movie, I forgot the Oscar movie. Like those are two big Mildred ones I still haven't. Mildred Pierce, those are two big ones I haven't seen. But uh, you haven't yeah. seen Mildred Pierce, my God. Okay. Um, I, I, why I, I wrote. She, oh, yeah. I, I wrote extensively on that movie, so I have a lot to say about it. No, yeah. well, I don't actually made Western with Johnny Guitars. Like, well, that has to be one. That that's 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 placed above uh, everything else because I love. I love grandpa like dad westerns. <laughs> uh, oh, that's not a, that's not a grandpa western, but like in general, I like the I like the I like the westerns like forties, fifties, the ones that like that my grandpa would watch a whole a way more like spaghetti westerns. That's me. The ones that were like this is just racist, but like, eh, but it's it's really comforting to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, J Dog, you can go first. Uh, what do you have for 1961 to recommend? Why would you do that to me? Why would you make me go first when you know I haven't seen another 1961 movie in months, years, centuries? No, wait, you're not on Letterboxd anymore. No. Weirdo. I'm not on Letterboxd either, and I literally do this for a living. All right, you're both in trouble. We're talking after school. So I'm not going to do that. 
I'm going to do a Shirley MacLaine movie that I like a lot. Huh? It's called Gambit. It stars Catherine Diaz. Oh, wait. No, sorry. That was the remake. No way, saw. Um, stars. I'm sorry. I just dropped the thing I was looking at. Anyways, Shirley MacLaine, Michael Caine, and a bunch of other people that are probably much more famous than I realize. And I can't really tell you anything about what happens in it. I really hope you don't look up what happens in it. I hope you just sit down and watch it. Let's just say that uh, Michael Caine plays a thief, a master thief, and he plans out an entire uh, plot to get something valuable that involves Shirley McLean playing a the role of a Asian woman, which is, yes, okay, I was just complaining about Yellowface. Sorry. But <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really risk. good. You know, that's, that's kind of how those of us who do film history are just like, yeah, well, they're going to get into this again, huh? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's unavoidable. Um, yes, so that's it. Just go watch it. It's from 1966, so it's not that far away. Okay. Have I, you seen uh, that, either of you? What? Nay. Gambit? Uh, no. Um, can you tell me the production credits, who directed it and who wrote it? Yes. Director was Ronald Niemi. But N-E-A-M-E. Not sure. And let's see... Yield of Fusion. I don't even see what the production company is. That's because I don't think I've heard of that guy. Um, but, I mean, Michael Caine in 1966 is its a very good recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> Strong contender. That is how I feel. All right. Spencer? What? It's your turn, as okay. far as I'm concerned. I have three... <laughs> This might be the most random spread I've done. Uh, I'm, I'm skipping uh, novels this time. Uh, first one is Babes in Toyland. I guess it's a Disney movie. It's a movie that my grandma had on cassette. On video cassette when I was uh, a child. The, uh, and I just remember watching it a lot. And then I was looking through movies... I saw the poster and it has like flashback of like being in my grandma's house at like five years old watching this movie. I don't remember anything. It just, it just one does like, holy shit. I watch this all the time and it kind of unlocked a bunch of memories. Um, I don't know if it's good or not. Maybe, maybe it's oh, shitty. Actually, I- sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Just keep the memories. <laughs> Just keep the memories. All right, let's do that. Our next one. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna do that one last. I don't want to do jump that far. Next one is Judge, Judgment at Nuremberg, the Stanley Kramer movie. I know it's kind of a dry war drama about like super serious stuff, but I kind of really like it. Uh. I, I don't know the cast like Burt Lancaster, uh, Spencer Tracy, Marlene Dietrich, 
and for one scene, it's um, Judy Garland doing a German accent that I don't think is that great, but it's Judy Garland. Like you can't not love her on screen. Monty Clift is really good in it too. Yeah, and you get a uh, baby William Shatner as a uh, bailiff, and um, yeah, I like this movie a lot. It, I, I know some people who think it's just dry and boring. It's like, yeah, I get it. It's three hours long. And it's it's kind of a, a message like a message movie where it's like uh, it's not being subtle at all. But uh, yeah, I just give that a shot. Okay, my last one is Doris Wishman, who is <laughs> an auteur. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nude on the Moon. It's about these astronauts that go to the moon, and it's full of. Um, Naked women, and Storch Wishman. So you know what you're getting. People have asked me to talk about or write about <laughs> Doris Wishman, and I just, I just won't. <laughs> I just don't want to go there. <laughs> to really I do lo- it, I'd have to like become an expert in her, and I just, I don't want to, I don't want to do it. Well, I like some of her movies. Some are just like this. This isn't good. <laughs> But this is one of the ones like I I just like New on the Moon a lot. It's, it's, it's some like w- like when they're really good. It's like there's something special about this, and I I don't know what it is exactly. Yeah, I mean I I just I like Russ Meyer so much that I don't you know I don't really want to accept oh, my substitutes. Speaking, yeah, I mean you're speaking to someone who loves Russ Meyer a lot. I love this '70s period when. When he was stopped giving a fuck, we're like, I'll just go full like Looney Tunes sex comedy and be, alienate everyone except weirdos. I had to try and convince my publisher that um, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls was actually a good movie and not an annoying mm-hmm. one. And I don't think I succeeded, but I gave it the college try. Yeah, well, that would be the one to give it to convince people mm-hmm. on Russ Meyer. But uh, oh, oh, I think this is a year of this is a year. I forgot to mention. Um, Joel, remember the Melville movie about the hot priest? Yes. This is that year. Um, yes. I forgot what it's called, but uh, Jean-Paul Belmondo plays a hot priest during World War Two. It's a it's, Melville it's movie. It's called the Hot Priest. You got it right. <laughs> hot priest. <laughs> it's uh, but and, wouldn't it uh, be Le Hot Priest? Yes, I think that's a correct. Oh, it is Leon something. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, Leon something priest. Anyway, if you want to see a Melville movie, like uh, Melville do like drama, and it's still just as exciting and exhilarating, definitely watch this movie. You see Belmondo as a like as hottest. It's great. Leon Boren priest. Yes, it's on. It is on Criterion Channel right now. Okay, that, that's it. Uh, Catherine, you can go. Okay, I'm going to recommend... Um, I'm going to recommend two and then recommend one with, with reservations. Uh, first one is Mothra, which is, is just... If you haven't seen Mothra, you should see Mothra. Um, that's kind of all I have to say about that. <laughs> the second one is Splendor in the Grass, which is um, an early Warren Beatty movie and... A, it was really a starring vehicle for Natalie Wood more than anything else. And people don't like this movie. And I don't really understand why, because it's really gorgeous technicolor 
you know, full Hollywood uh, um, indulgence. And it's about a woman, a young woman in high school who has sexual desire for the first time and it drives her crazy. And the reason is that she's confronting how 1950s mores pressed against women having sexual desire. And it literally drives her to the booby hatch. And I just think that's super cool. Uh, but hmm. people don't really like this movie. Hmm. And it's long, you know, but it's it's really gorgeous. And you get to look at Warren Beatty being young and really freaking hot um, for, you know, two hours. So hard to beat that. Mm. Um, and the third one is The Misfits, which is not a good movie. Um, I studied it really closely. I wrote a, I wrote a long, long essay about it. And um, it's the final movie of Marilyn Monroe, Clark Gable, and um, uh, not the final movie of Monty Clift, but one of his later roles. And uh, John Huston directed it. It's from a screenplay by Arthur Miller. It was his only screenplay. And it was while huh. he was married to Marilyn Monroe that they were making this movie. And their marriage was falling apart. And he was rewriting the screenplay to make her worse and worse. And so, you know, there's that. But I, it's not a good movie. And I think the reason is that you can't put three stars of the caliber of Marilyn Monroe, Clark Gable, and Montgomery Clift in a movie with a kind of okay screenplay and expect that the screen is going to contain them. It's just the, this, their energy is uncontainable when you get it all together. So I recommend it because it's a movie like no other. And because Marilyn plays a dramatic role, which she didn't do very often. Uh, but it's not like, don't expect to have a good time <laughs> because it's kind of a drag. Hmm. Yeah, it's been on my list for like, um, Netflix TV is going away soon, but that's been on my list for like five years. It's one of those like I've never heard anyone talk about this. I get I'm I've I've always been curious, but now I'm I'm still very curious on like what on what it even like if it on it. We could watch it when you're here. I have it on Blu-ray. You do? Oh gosh, Joel, did I just disparage a movie that you love? I'm sorry. No, not at all. I okay. I totally agree with everything you said. Okay. <laughs> Okay, yeah, like for the Marilyn Monroe movies this season, I almost put, I almost considered that, but I was like, no, we have to do How to Marry a Millionaire and Gentleman for Blondes. So those, those are the ones that I have things to say about. But uh, yes, um, that's that, Catherine. Just those three. Yep. Okay. And again, what uh, what's your book called? Where can people find it? Slash your other other stuff that you've written. My book is called Junk Film. Uh, best place to find it is at Amazon, but you can also find it from me. Go to, excuse me, you go to kcoldiron.com uh, and you can find the portal to all kinds of stuff about me, my 8 million book reviews that I wrote and um, essays and other podcasts and all kinds of crap. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm Fairy Frigida, F-E-R-R-F-R-I-G-I-D-A. Uh, but if that's too hard to remember, you can just search my name, Catherine Coldiron. There's only one, really. So, <laughs> <laughs> and um, for me today, as of this as of this recording on this very day, my second article for Grumpire just got published. It's on Stormy Weather, the '40s musical, and about how it's secretly a punk movie, and uh, 
it, it takes a while to get to that point. Cause I have to do. I felt I need to do a lot of setup on race movies and early black cinema to get into uh, what my main thesis and ideas are. But uh, yeah, so that's that's on Grumpire. I have something on Godfrey Cambridge I wrote uh, on on Grumpire, and if you dig through the action movie roundup thing they did last year, uh, I'm kind of scattered throughout those, pretty much talking about uh, Indian action movies, and and every every time I show up on those in in one of those, and um, that's it. I have two blogs I don't really update anymore eventually i'll get back to updating when i have a review i wrote two years ago i have to actually finish editing <laughs> but i don't know if, when i'll get to that uh yeah i'm on instagram and stuff uh i'm up i'll put it later i'll put it in the show notes i don't feel like saying it uh j dog what you got uh love is what i got no i don't have anything you know me you might have something this time i'm just waiting for you to order me to watch the next movie okay that's gonna be a few weeks because i'm gonna be busy next week what the hell are you doing you'll see yeah all right and um yeah so Catherine, thank you for jumping on this episode um you're the only person to to pick this and so first off thank you for for picking this one <laughs> i'm a little sorry i did because you guys had so little to say i feel bad oh, no, don't feel bad all. um yeah uh, the next one should be more should be more lively because we're talking about joan crawford and betty davis and uh yes and um yeah so we'll, we'll, we'll schedule on that so that, that will be and uh, as of this recording the next few episodes to come out will be the women the um george kukor movie and I don't like oh okay uh and um i had something else planned but because of how because of it's it's pride month in the movie i want i'm gonna push forward the cruising episode to release a little earlier because i i want to get the one out, out there because that, that was a fun discussion talking about mm. cruising and how it's complicated and uh if you don't like it, I fully understand. I will not fight you on it. If you do like it, I understand, and I will not fight you on it. Yeah, that's how I feel about cruising, too. Yeah, I'm in a camp of I love it, but I know people who hate it. It's like, yeah, yeah, I, I understand. I will not. They should have made it, made a remake of it 20 years ago with Al Pacino in the same part. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I thought, like... I really enjoyed thinking about that movie, but I really didn't enjoy watching it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. Gross Grimy New York. It's I, I like that stuff. It's it feels, <laughs> it feels like Fulci, but with more humanity. I want Ms. Forty Five. If we're gonna uh, do Gross New York, I want that. I mean, that that's a better movie, <laughs> in all honesty. Wait, what about what about Ten to Midnight? <laughs> that's a shit movie. Everyone knows that. It, it's hilarious. It's that's it. All right. And the interrogation scenes is 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 why is the reason I watch the movie. It's for jerking off. I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. How can you not laugh at Bronson saying that? Anyway, that's it. So uh, 
Shutting down. Catherine, thank you for your time. Joel, I'll talk to you whenever. Yeah. <laughs> I had fun, guys. Thank you. Yes. Our theme music is by James Fell. Our logo is by Andrew Bargeron. You can find him as Jemetsko on Threadless, TeePublic, Redbubble, Shirt Woot Catalog, and T-Theory. That is spelled G-I-M-E-T-Z-C-O. You can find our show in previous seasons on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and other places where you can find podcasts.